Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins with the message. Impact. And so please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And as you're opening your Bibles to Mark 1, if you guys could help us out, because there's still people coming in as the service continues, but if there's uh, some seats open in the middle of your row. Could you guys just kind of scoot a little bit so as people come in, um, they can uh, just grab a seat on the end. That would be helpful if you could just scoot in a little bit. So Mark chapter one, the title of the message today is Impact. Impact. And so um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles under your seat in front of you. Um, I'd encourage everybody, if you don't have a Bible, to pull it up on your smartphone or mobile device. Go to Mark chapter one. And we're going to start today in verse 21. So Mark 1, 21 through 34. As you're turning in that passage, uh, let me just also uh, piggyback and encourage you guys to come tonight, 5.30. I like how Pastor Jacob said, hearty finger food. I'm, I'm excited just to see what that means. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> come for some hearty finger food. And then um, if, you, if you're not in a group, uh, we would love to help you find out how to get into a group tonight. So we look forward to seeing you. If you found Mark 1, just say amen. amen. How's everybody doing? Good. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for you. As Pastor Will saying, you're a good, good father. You take so good care, such good care of us and and Lord, the, the greatest thing that you did for us is you sent your son who took on human flesh, added humanity to his divinity, and came to this world, this fallen, lost world, to seek and save those who were lost. And Lord, we readily admit all of us, at one point in our lives, were lost. Sinners in need of a Savior. And you so loved the world, you came. And so in the busy, busyness of our lives, help us to often remember this truth that you loved us and your love motivated you to come. Father, help us not to take that for granted. Help us to realize that you could have stayed in heaven. You could have allowed us to die in our sins. But we thank you, Lord, that just as much as you're a God of holiness and justice, that you're a God of love and mercy. And so we fall upon our knees and we ask for mercy. We ask that you would conform us into the image of your son, Father, to make us day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, more and more like Jesus. Father, deliver us from casual Christianity. Deliver us from the attitude of going to church and help us to see that you called us to be the church and to light, let our light shine so that people could see our good works and glorify you 
you who are in heaven. We commit the second half of the service to you. We ask that you speak to us through this Bible study. We thank you for your word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. All right, well, last week we saw Jesus, and Jesus recruited four out of the 12 apostles, and their names were Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And so these guys had already started their careers as fishermen, uh, but the Lord came and he called them to drop their fishing nets and to walk away from their careers and to follow him. Now, now as I said last week, if, if you're a young man and you're called to pastoral ministry, you say, well, what do I need to do? You need to go to Bible college and you need to grow and, and, and learn the word of God. And if God calls you from that, to go to seminary and continue to grow and learn in God's word so that you can be prepared to be the pastor that God's called you to become. But some of you guys are older and you've already started your careers. And you, you may think that God's calling you, drawing you to pastoral ministry. You say, what do I do? Here's what you do. You step out in faith. You do what these guys did. You drop your nets. You walk away from your career and you follow the Lord. How many of you guys really believe that where God guides, he provides? And God can actually take care of you. And so the safest place to be is in the middle of God's word and God's will. Now, most of you, God will call you to stay in your careers and to let your light shine because all of us are called to be fishers of men. And so, hey, we love the general principles of the word of God. But how many of you are thankful that we have a Holy Spirit who gives us specific direction as we walk with the Lord? And so maybe God's calling some of you. And I would ask you to open your heart to that call. Now all these men said yes to Jesus' call. And so what did he do? He took them under his wing. And he began to train them to become fishers of men. And so you, you might say if you're new to, to, to Calvary, where are we in the Bible? We're at the beginning of the Messiah's ministry. And these four guys, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, have no idea for the ride that they are in for the rest of their lives. And so we're gonna pick it up in verse 21. Now those of you who come to Calvary, we're starting in verse 21 because what verse did we leave off of last week? 20, if you're new to Calvary, this is what we do 95% of the time. We go through books of the Bible, verse by verse by verse. As I say so often, uh, it's because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so in verse 21 today, it says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he was teaching. And so Peter and the guys went into Capernaum. Capernaum was a popular fishing town, and it was located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. The Romans, the Roman Empire, who occupied Israel during the first century, they sent some Roman soldiers at some point to Capernaum, and they built a garrison there. And not only that, there was a major road that went through Capernaum. And so in terms of the region of Galilee, Capernaum was an important town. It's important to us as Christians because Capernaum is where Jesus spent a whole lot of time, and it's where he based his headquarters for his Galilean ministry, listen to this, a ministry that would impact tens of thousands of people. And so we find ourselves um, in the Bible, and it's the Sabbath. 
And so what did Jesus do as he always did on the Sabbath? He entered into the synagogue. He went into the local synagogue there in Capernaum, and he began to teach. Okay, so what's a synagogue? A synagogue is an assembly of Jews formally gathered together to offer prayers and to listen to the reading and exposition of the scriptures. By the way, um, if you're new to our church, BLB, that's Blue Letter Bible. It's an awesome, free, online, um, uh, a great website if you want to get deeper into the Bible. So it's very interesting that in the Old Testament, we never see the word synagogue. And so where did they come from? When did they start? Scholars believe they started right around the, uh, sometime during the Babylonian captivity. And so if you go back with me in history, 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, they come down, they invade Judah, they destroy Solomon's temple, and they take a lot of people captive, a lot of Jews like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, guys like that, they took them, they deported them up to Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. And so we see that happening. Some Jews stayed behind in Judah. Others went up into Babylon, but the temple's destroyed. And so, hey, where are you going to go and worship? Where are you going to go to uh, have thoughts about God? And so what they did is they started synagogues. And so whenever there was a town, whether it was in Israel or whether it was up in Babylon, when there was a town and you had 10, at least 10 Jewish men over the age of 12, a synagogue could be built. And they would assemble in those buildings, they would pray, and they would read and teach the word of God. <clears throat> now, as you go forward from the Babylonian period to the Persian period, on into the Greek period, and then ultimately into the Roman period, where we are in the Bible. By the way, that's the intertestamental uh, inter period between Malachi and Matthew, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so as you go from Babylon to Persia to Greek, now into the, the Roman period, what you find is when you get to the New Testament, there are synagogues everywhere. And so they increased as history uh, continued on. And they're not just in Israel, but they're also in many other cities throughout the Roman Empire. And so many synagogues, or all synagogues, had a ruler of the synagogue. And whenever there was a visiting rabbi passing through town, if the guy had the credentials, uh, the ruler of the synagogue would allow that rabbi to come and to teach um, that day in the synagogue. And that's what's happening here in your Bible. Jesus goes into the local synagogue of Capernaum. He's recognized as a rabbi. He asks to share with the people. And so Jesus Christ is given the platform in the synagogue of Capernaum. It's very interesting to me that archaeologists have dug down in the ruins of Capernaum and they've uncovered the foundation of what many believe is the actual synagogue that we're studying about today. So if you go with us to Israel, we'll take you to the ruins of Capernaum. We'll go to this site, which are the remains of a synagogue from the third or fourth century AD. So what you see there, the stones you see there, are after the time of Christ. But here's what's really cool. We'll take you over to the side of that synagogue and we'll look down. And when you look down, you'll see other stones of a building. And so they built the third or fourth century synagogue on top of this building. And so as you look down on those stones from the first century, guess what? 
Many, many scholars believe those are the very stones from the synagogue that we find here in our scriptures today. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand that this book is true, that this book is authentic. You need to understand that we know that as a fact. Why? Here's one reason, because of fulfilled prophecy. There's no other book like this. And so you have hundreds of prophecies that men of God gave in the past that have already been literally fulfilled in history. How does that happen? How can someone tell the future? Well, when God comes upon you, you could tell the future. This book has hundreds of examples of fulfilled prophecy. But what's also another reason we know that this book is authentic, that this book is legit, is because of the mounting evidence of archaeological digs like the one that we talked about this morning. And so as I said, the rocks are crying out that the Bible is true. There's evidence that the Bible is God's word. The question is not with the evidence. The question is with your heart. Will you believe the evidence or will you remain a skeptic for the rest of your life? It's your choice. Okay, so we'll go now to verse 22. And it says, and they were astonished. Okay, so Jesus comes in. He begins to teach What's the response of the crowd? They, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Okay, so what was a scribe? A scribe was a man who was learned in the Mosaic law and in the sacred writings. He was an interpreter of law, Torah, and he was a teacher. By the way, he was also a, what's called a copyist. And so the scribes, obviously way before the printing press was invented, they would take the Jewish scriptures, we call it the Old Testament, and they would copy it from one document to another document. They were so meticulous that they would count the words on a page to make sure the exact number of words were on the next page. In that way, God used scribes to preserve his word from generation to generation to generation. These guys were also lawyers. They were proficient in the law of Moses in Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They knew it like the back of their hands. But, but here's the problem. They got off into, they emphasized too much the oral teachings of the ancient rabbis about the law of Moses. For example, you have the book of Leviticus. And you have all these laws that God gave through Moses to the people of Israel. And you have all these mounting I mean, like a, like a huge amount of, of rabbis talking about what that verse means and how you can apply it to your life. And so the scribes would go into the synagogues and they were constantly, sermon after sermon after sermon, quoting different rabbis. And so it would be like, hey, you know, there's a scribe, he's in front of a synagogue, concerning how far we can travel on the Sabbath, Rabbi so-and-so says... Concerning how, how heavy a burden we can carry on the Sabbath, because you don't want to work, Rabbi so-and-so says, concerning, ladies, if you're, you look into a mirror and you pluck out a gray hair and whether or not that's considered work, I'm not making this stuff up, Rabbi so-and-so says, concerning how you go through the relig- uh, ritualistic hand washings and how many times you do that, well, Rabbi so-and-so says, and soon the people were snoring in the synagogue. But then Jesus walks in, and he takes a scroll, 
opens it up, and he begins to teach the word of God, and their mouths dropped open. Why? Because Jesus was the son of God who taught the word of God in the power of God. Who came upon Jesus in the waters of the Jordan? The Holy Spirit. So not only was Jesus baptized in water, he was baptized as a man 100% God, but 100% man. He was baptized as a man with the Holy Spirit, and he was empowered for ministry. And so now Jesus, his words and his works are absolutely anointed by God. So Jesus, in those days, would enter into a synagogue, and he would ask for a scroll of the Jewish scriptures. Of course, the Bible was not leather-bound back then. It was scrolls. We know this because when he went to the synagogue of Nazareth, he asked for the scroll of Isaiah. And and this is mind-boggling. He opened the scroll, and he actually taught the word of God. Imagine that. He didn't give you a self-help sermon on how you could feel good about yourself. He taught God's word. He didn't quote from various rabbis. He just taught God's word in a down-to-earth, straightforward uh, fashion using illustrations to illuminate whatever passage he was in. And then, listen to this, every time Jesus spoke, whether he had a scroll of the Jewish scriptures or not, hey, every time he spoke, it was the word of God. Why? Because he was God in the flesh. The Son of God, preaching the Word of God up under the power of God. But he would use these amazing illustrations um, that people could relate to today. A sower went out to sow. Look at the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. Two men went to the temple to pray. And so we see that Jesus loved using illustrations. And what was the response of the people? It says here, they were astonished. I love John 7, 46, because what happens is that the chief priests, the religious leaders of the day, they've had it up to here with Jesus. They're jealous and they're envious and they hate Jesus. Why? Because the crowds were following Jesus and they were being ignored. And so they send the temple guards to go arrest Jesus. And the temple guards walk up when Jesus Christ is giving a sermon. Wouldn't you love to have been there? And then they come back to the chief priest, and the chief priest is like, they're like, where's Jesus? Why didn't you arrest him? And they said this, and I quote, no one ever spoke like this man. They, the temple guards, were astonished at Jesus' teaching. And so, hey, those of you who are called to teach and to preach the word of God, you need to take note, all of us need to take note who've been called to preach and teach on the way of the master. And so we need to make sure that before we teach God's word, that we know God's word. That we have a working knowledge of both the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. We need to make sure that we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. That we have the power of God on our lives. And it's not just that we were baptized 10 years ago, but we're continuing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to make sure that we're teaching and preaching from God's word and not from man's opinions. 
We need to be done in America with self-help sermons that where someone just gives one verse and then they go off into all man-made opinions and ideas on how, how you can feel better about yourself or be more positive in life. That has nothing to do with God's church and has nothing to do with the word of God. We've got to teach God's word. Ladies and gentlemen, this is where the power is. And Jesus knew that, and that's why he took scrolls of the Jewish scriptures and taught from those scrolls. And then, of course, we need to make sure that we use illustrations to illuminate our teaching. I believe it's a sin to teach the word of God in a boring way. And Jesus was just the opposite. And those men who are out there and you've been called to teach and preach, you have the spirit of Christ inside of you. Let them out. Verse 23 says this. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out. And he said, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And so right in the middle of this synagogue service, a demon manifested itself, and it began to scream at Jesus. You know, what have you to do with us? I know who you are. You're the the Holy One of God. I heard about how you overcame our father Lucifer in the wilderness. I heard the word in the demonic realm is all about how you overcame the temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And this, this, this man who's got this demon inside of him is screaming. Talk about a disruption in service. Screaming at the Lord. How do you think these, these Jews in the synagogue reacted to this? I think it was like hair, ding, you know, on the back of their neck. They're just freaking out. Security at the synagogue that day did not know what to do. You know, they're like, we're, we're, we're all, the, all the gray shirts that we love here at Calvary, and they didn't know what to do that day. Can you imagine if someone stands up, starts screaming at me in some weird voice? That's what's happening in our, in our Bibles today. And the people were shocked. And so you need to know that demonic possession still occurs today especially in places in the world where people have given themselves over to pagan practices. Ladies and gentlemen, those who get involved in the occult, those who choose to get involved in idol worship, spiritism, mediums, voodoo, contacting the dead. Maybe you have a loved one and they're gone and your heart is breaking, and somebody's trying to tell you, well, listen, I know so-and-so, and and if you go with me to so-and-so, he'll contact your dead loved one, and they'll talk to you. Can Can I just give you one word? If you do that, you're stupid. Okay, don't do that. That's dumb. That's foolish. You're opening doors that are meant to stay closed. If you're involved in drugs, That's dumb. You're opening up doors that are meant to stay closed. And so don't let those doors open. Now, I gotta say there's a difference between demonic possession and demonic oppression. Okay, that's important for the Christian community to understand the distinction here. Demonic possession comes from within. 
demonic oppression comes from without. And so demonic possession is what we see here in the synagogue of Capernaum. That at some point, the demon enters into the man, and now he's controlling the man. He's controlling this guy's vocal cords, and he's screaming at Jesus. But demonic oppression is different. It doesn't come from within. It comes from without. And so uh, I did a little more digging this morning because I wanted to make sure I was crystal, crystal clear on this point and so I went to gotquestions.org. And so I, maybe you haven't heard me um, encourage you to go to that website if you have a question. Uh, we agree with 98 or so percent of what they say. It's a great website. And so I looked it up, and I, I found an article. What does the Bible say about demonic oppression? Okay, let me, let me quote from Got Questions. There's a strong biblical evidence that a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. The question then arises regarding the, what influence or power a demon can have over a Christian. Many Bible teachers describe demonic influence on a Christian as demonic oppression to distinguish it from possession. Demonic oppression is when a demon is temporarily victorious over a Christian, successfully tempting a Christian to sin and hindering his ability to serve God with a strong testimony. Christians who allow continuing sin open themselves up to greater and greater oppression. So confession and repentance of sin are necessary to restore fellowship with God who can then break the power of demonic influence. And so if you want to overcome demonic oppression, I encourage you to go back, get last week's message, go on our website, listen to the part where I taught on the temptation of Christ. And what we do is we look at Christ. How did he overcome the temptations of the enemy? And suffice it to say for now that when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit as Jesus was, being filled with the Spirit, and you have a, a knowledge of the Word of God, and you're using the Word of God, then you're going to be okay. Now, it's a very important point here, uh, if you're taking notes, that a true child of God cannot be possessed by a demon. There's way too much confusion about this in the church today. So I want to be as clear as I can be. If you're a blood-bought, born-again Christian, if you understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, if you've turned to him in repentance and faith, received him as your savior and master of your, Lord, of your life, the Holy Spirit has come down inside of you. And part of the bad English, there ain't no way the Holy Spirit is gonna allow an unclean spirit to inhabit the same space that he inhabits. It's just not gonna happen. And so um, let me quote from another article here uh, because this is such an important issue. Um, one of my heroes in the faith who's with the Lord now is just Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement. How many of you guys, I'm just wondering, have heard him on the radio or uh, read any of his books? Yeah, it's just an amazing, amazing, humble man who is used by God to touch tens of thousands of lives. And I love his crystal clear teaching, but he, he, he asks the question, can a Christian, a born-again Christian, be possessed by a demon? Okay, here's his answer. Quote, the answer based on the scriptures and logic is an unequivocal no. 
The proponents of this unscriptural doctrine use such terms as Christians being, quote, invaded by demons rather than demon-possessed. This is nothing more than a word game and a smokescreen to hide their, uh, the scriptural weakness of their position. Now, stay with me here, listen. They also present an illogical supposition that demons can invade or control the mind or body but not the spirit. This is what you'll hear on TV sometimes. A demon can invade your mind or your body, but because you're a born-again Christian, they can't get all the way into your spirit. Pastor Chuck says in 1 Corinthians 6, God's word declares that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in us. 2 Corinthians 6 the question is asked, what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? For you are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them. To say that a Christian's body or mind can be possessed or invaded by demons is to contradict the word of God and declare a communion of light and darkness that God and Satan are dwelling together. We, I love this, we need the help of God to stand for these rulers of darkness can and do attack us in a variety of ways, but they cannot come in and take control of our lives. It is sad that many Christians and non-Christians seem to have a greater interest in Satan and being possessed by demons than they do in Christ and being possessed by his Holy Spirit. Demons become the center of their conversations and teachings rather than Jesus Christ, but we can rejoice that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Thank you, Pastor Chuck. And so now in verse 25, it says this. So this demon is controlling this man's vocal cords. He's screaming at Jesus, disrupting the service in the synagogue. Jesus is not having any of that. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him. He's got to get a last jab in there. Convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. If you're taking notes, you need to know that demons are absolutely subject to the authority of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, you sang it, do you believe it? There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power. Jesus said, all power, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so this demon hears this rebuke, right? Come out. And so if you can somehow imagine in your mind's eye, who knows what it looks like, but he's inside the man. And, and by the way, how many of you guys understand that demons and devils are more powerful than human beings? Okay, so we can't get all hoity-toity thinking that we have this power. And so this demon's inside of this guy, and he's trying to hang on to his soul, but there's a, a greater authority that's pulling him out, and finally he's got to let go, but he does it with a blood-curdling scream and a last jab as he goes out. Jesus Christ has the power to deliver people from demonic possession. Now, there were exorcists during that time, the time of Christ, and you need to understand those, they were very different from Jesus. 
when the exorcists of that day uh, attempted to cast out demons, here's what they did. They engaged in these lengthy, superstitious uh, rituals and practices, and they recited all these incantations over the people. Today, we see that they, they sprinkle with holy water. Okay, but in Jesus' day, these Jewish exorcists, because they did not have the power of God on their lives, uh, um, usually, or maybe even most of the time, their attempts were futile. And listen to this, sometimes they got beat up. Have you ever read Acts 19 and the seven sons of Sceva? And there's some itinerant Jewish um, exorcists there, the seven sons of Sceva, the high priest, and they're there, and um, there's a demon-possessed man, and, and, and they walk up to this guy, and they go, seven of them, right? Seven against one. And they're like, well, we adjure you in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And this demon inside this man controlling, again, his vocal cords, yells back at them and says, well, Jesus we know, and Paul we're acquainted with, but who are you? And all of a sudden, this one guy, one against seven, jumps on seven and beats all seven of them to a pulp, rips off their clothes, and the seven guys run away naked and bruised. And so, hey, in and of our own strength, we are no match for the demonic world. But above the demonic world, there's a greater power. It's the power of Jesus Christ. And that's the power we've got to tap into. And so all Jesus says, he doesn't put holy water on this guy. He doesn't recite incantations over this guy. He doesn't go into some re religious, ritualistic, whatever, superstitious stuff. Jesus just looks at this guy and says, shut up and get out. And you cannot, you cannot, you cannot withstand the power of God. And the demon went out. Now, before I move on to verse 27, I just want to say, please, Christian, do not fear the demonic realm. You have no, the first thing you got to understand, you got, the first thing you need to know is that the question is, are you a born-again child of God? Okay, so that's really important, because now that we're in the new covenant, we're in the age of grace, the day of Pentecost is past. Right When we are regenerate in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on people, come off, come on people, come off, empower. But now, hey, that's the old covenant. We're in the new covenant. And when we genuinely turn from our sins and turn to Jesus as our only hope and Savior, his spirit comes inside of us and we become the temple of the, of the living God and we have nothing to fear from the demonic realm. Stay close to your big brother, Jesus. Grow in the knowledge of the word so that when you're attacked from the enemy, like Jesus, you can use the word of God to be victorious. All right, verse 27. And they were all amazed, right? They see this demon coming out of this man. They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame, I love this, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And so after such a powerful display of God's power, it didn't take long for Jesus' fame to spread like wildfire, to spread all across those 204 towns. You remember last week, 
Josephus, the first century historian, there's 204 towns in Galilee. All of them have over 15,000 people. Okay, so now the name of Jesus is spreading. Everybody's talking about Jesus. Hey, wouldn't that be great if that happened on the treasure coast of Florida? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be awesome if the treasure coast was not just inhabited by a lot of churches, including our, our, our own, where a lot of people just go to church and they're religious and there's no impact on our community? Wouldn't it be awesome if some people really decided to become genuine and to genuinely turn from their sin and to the Lord Jesus Christ? Wouldn't it be awesome if those people were baptized with the Holy Spirit and empowered by God? Wouldn't it be awesome if they kept short accounts with God so that when they sinned, because nobody's perfect, they confessed it, they admitted and quit it and got right with God so nothing hinders their fellowship with the Lord? Wouldn't it be awesome if we began to put Jesus first in our lives and he became the center of many of our conversations? Wouldn't it be awesome if our church had a revival that poured out into the treasure coast and there's a spiritual awakening. It could actually happen in our lifetime. Are you praying for revival? That's what we need to do. Wouldn't it be awesome if people would stop going to church and realize I am the church? Wouldn't it be awesome if people would go beyond just a conversion experience and start becoming a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ? Wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus Christ became the foundation of the church and all the churches on the treasure coast became Bible-teaching, spirit-filled, Christ-honoring places? Listen, this, the whole treasure coast would be like Galilee 2,000 years ago and everybody would be talking about Jesus. But if you're content to just come in here and sit in a row once a month, if you're content to blow the dust off your Bible and that's the only time you ever get in the Bible, if you're content to continue to allow sin to dominate your life where drugs and alcohol and pornography are dominating you and defeating you, if you're content just to be a casual Christian, then no influence and no impact will ever happen on the treasure coast. I'm I'm asking you to join me, not to be perfect. We're all far from that. I'm asking you to join me to be lifelong followers of Christ and let's make an impact on our community in the power of Jesus Christ. And I, I'm honestly, because listen, ladies and gentlemen, those who know me best, they, they know I'm an introvert. Okay, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not trying to hype you up emotionally so that we can go out and storm the gates of hell or whatever. I'm just asking you, if you're in sin, turn from your sin and be baptized with the Holy Spirit and get into God's word every single day and start to let your light shine and share your faith. And God will use you to change your little world and your little world and your little world and your little world and your little world, your little world until it becomes a whole treasure coast and maybe even beyond that. That's what we want to see. And it's, a, it's not judged by how many people come to church. Is it exciting to have a room full of people at 11 o'clock hour? Yeah, it's exciting. But you know what's more exciting when the angels are, as far as the angels are concerned? When people really repent and turn to Jesus and start following him in authenticity. That's what excites the heart of God. And so now in verse 29, it says this, that immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon, okay, who's Simon? Peter, right. Now, John 1 says that Peter was living in Bethsaida. Okay, but now, in verse 29 of Mark 1, we see he's moved to Capernaum. So Pete's got a new house. 
And Simon and Andrew, James and John, go over to his house after synagogue, probably for lunch. And it says in verse 30 that Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. And so we've already seen that demons are subject to the authority of Christ. Now we see that disease, sickness, illness, ailments are absolutely subject to the authority of Jesus Christ. Don't you know that by his stripes we are healed? That Jesus didn't allow his back to become hamburger meat just to pay the price of our sins. He did it so that we could overcome our sickness as well. Jesus has power over the demonic realm and Jesus has power over illness and disease. And so after the synagogue service was over, they all went to Peter's house to enjoy a meal, but there was a problem. Pete's mother-in-law was sick, laid up in bed. Luke shines some light on the story. And so Luke tells us that she has, quote-unquote, a great fever, and that the disciples implored Jesus, I like this, on her behalf. So Jesus walks into Peter's house. He knocks on the door wherever she's at, laid up in bed. Come in. He opens the door. There she is. Hello, my, little, hello, my sister. He grabs her. He lifts her up. She's sicker than a dog. And as he's lifting her up, the sickness goes out. The fever's gone. And the next thing you know, she's coming out of the kitchen with a tray and she's serving lunch. <laughs> Jesus blessed the woman. And so the woman served Jesus. Has Jesus blessed you? Okay, that's 30%. I'll try it again. Has Jesus blessed you? Yes. Are you serving him? Yes. You know, we have a core group here at Calvary. And so you have the community, right? You've heard this before. You have the, the crowd. Crowd comes Christmas and Easter, C&E Christians. Then you have the, the congregation. But then you have the core I thank God for our core. The core, yeah, we can thank our core. The core are people who, they connect. That means they get out of their row, as we say over and over every week, and get into a circle. They connect on Sunday morning, but they connect, or Saturday night, or then they also connect in a group at some point during the week. Maybe once a week, maybe every other week, whatever. And they serve. And so they're serving during the week, they're serving before, during, and after all three of our service. Um, they're growing in their personal relationship with Jesus. They're inviting people to church and they're giving. They're giving not because the law of Moses says give 10%. No, they see a principle of the tithe that precedes the law of Moses and out of a free will offering, they're giving God their best because this is their local church and this is where they give. Connecting, serving, growing, inviting, and, and they're giving. That's our core group of people. And we're asking God to increase and strengthen the core group of our people. Why? Because we need servants. If Jesus has blessed you, 
The question is, are you serving him? And so if you're not doing those things, I encourage you, find out where your local church is. Maybe it's this one, maybe it's another good Bible teaching, spirit-filled church. Find where your church is, plug into that church, and then begin to serve the Lord in, the, in that local church. Because why? Because he's blessed you. And so I wanna also let you know before I move on um, that our goal, and we'll see if it's the Lord's will as the year goes on, but our goal is we would love to see, as the church grows, we would love to see us start a second Saturday night service so that we have two Saturday night services and then we have two Sunday morning services. The reason why is because we have people in the core and they're coming Saturday night, but then they're coming back on Sunday morning to serve. And I thank God for them, but here's what I know, that after a while, that's gonna cause some burnout. And so our goal as we move on during the year is that as we grow, more and more people will come to Saturday night, so we start a second Saturday night so that people can choose Saturday or Sunday. And those who choose Saturday, they can serve one and worship and attend one. And then those who choose Sunday, if you choose Sunday, praise the Lord, we're never gonna tell you where to go to church, what time to go to church, but if you choose Sunday, you can serve and then you can attend one or attend and serve. Does that make sense to you guys? So this is, I'm letting you in on some of the pastor meetings and what we talk about. We would love to see God do that into the future. And so what I see at 11 o'clock for the last three weeks is the biggest service in our church. And I thank God for that. But, but some of you, maybe God, maybe God will call you to Saturday night. And maybe you could serve once a month. Once a month, if God's blessed you, and this is your local church, could you maybe do that? And you say, well, how do I do that? You do that, you go to our website, you click on Calvary, I'm sorry, you go to calvarypsl.com and you click on Next Steps and then you click on Calvary Serve Team and just sign up, it's that easy. And we would love to, to have you enter into the core group so that we can continue to grow. All right, we're gonna continue now and, and we're talking about the disciples and they're asking Jesus um, to heal this woman. And I wanna encourage you about something, that if you know someone who's sick, that you do the same thing the disciples did. Ask Jesus to heal them. How many of you guys thank God for people who pray for you? That's a beautiful thing, right? Now, now listen to this. Listen to this. This has never happened to me before in, in my memory, in my whole life, but two Saturdays ago, it's our first Saturday evening service. And the Friday night before, I start getting sick. To the point where I grab my phone and I start to text Pastor Will. And um, you gotta get ready because I may not make it. And my wife said, don't send that text. You're gonna ruin his evening with his family. So I didn't. How many of you guys know you do what your wife says, okay? <laughs> and so I went to bed. Next morning I get up and I'm more sick. And I think it's the flu. You guys know what the symptoms are. And the day's progressing, and I'm praying, and uh, Stacy's friend, Shelly Starnes, comes over, and she's there, and I'm like, don't hug me. I think I'm coming down with something. And, and so, but how many, how many, again, of you guys are thankful for people who pray? So my wife prayed, Shelly prayed, other people who knew that I was becoming sick, getting sicker, prayed. And you know what's a beautiful thing? Again, this has never happened to me in my, in my life. Usually I start getting the flu, and I'm down for three days. Saturday night service, I feel good as new, and listen to this, 
Just like that woman was able to serve lunch to those men, I was able to serve the word of God for all three services, never even felt safe. That's an awesome thing. What, it, what do I believe Jesus did? I believe he said, son, you're going to first Saturday night service. And he did that for me. Now, I want you to look at what James wrote. James said, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Now question, don't answer out loud. Does God always heal when we pray? The answer is yes. Sometimes in this life, always in the next life. By his stripes, we are healed. And sometimes we experience physical healing in this life, but if you're a child of God, when you pass from this life to the next life, you receive a resurrected body that's immortal and one billion with a B years from now, you'll still be without sickness, without pain, without grief because of what Jesus has done for us. That's good news. And so you got to understand that we don't just take one passage out of the Bible and teach a whole doctrine. We teach the whole counsel of God. And so you got guys on TV, and they say, wherever Jesus went, he healed them all. And so it's always God's will when you pray in faith for God to heal when you're physically sick. I would say that's not what the whole Bible teaches. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times. God said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. I'm keeping you on the with the thorn in the flesh, some kind of physical ailment. Elisha, who did great miracles in 2 Kings 13, 14, he was, says he was sick and then he died. At the pool of Bethesda, did Jesus always heal everybody? No, at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter five, he's literally hopping over 10, 20, 30 people and he, they're sick and he heals one guy. Okay, so let's teach the whole counsel of God. Let's not make sure we're not just teaching one passage and let's understand that God is sovereign over this whole thing. And so if you're sick, call the elders. Go see Pastor Bob, our care pastor. He'll gather some elders. We'll anoint you with oil. We'll pray the prayer of faith over you, and we'll see, knowing for a fact that there's power in the name of Jesus, we'll ask God to heal you. And so now in verse 32, here's our last three verses here. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And so get the picture, it's the end of Sabbath. Okay, Sabbath was from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, so during that 24-hour period, no Jew was allowed to do any work. And that included carrying burdens. That's work, you don't do that. So they waited till the sun went down on Saturday night. And then they took their paralyzed loved ones and sick loved ones on stretchers and carried that burden. See, they had to wait till the sun goes down. And Peter opens his door and 
Can you imagine opening your door this afternoon and there's thousands of people in your front yard and your neighbor's yards down the street? And then all of a sudden, Jesus walks out. And Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 is fulfilled. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Who's the light? Jesus, the light of the world. And he shines his light on these people. And what is he doing? He's preaching to the people. He's healing the hurting. He's uh, delivering the demonized. Capernaum had never seen this. Galilee had never seen this. Um, Israel had never seen this. The world had never seen this. What? The impact of the power of God. And so here's your last point. And that is you cannot encounter Jesus Christ without being impacted. My question for you, you have to answer it in your own heart, is has Jesus impacted your life? Has he changed you from the inside out? Or are you just going to church and doing the religious thing? Have you allowed the King of kings and the Lord of lords to possess you? Or are you all bound up in chains? So here's how we're going to end the service. In a moment, I'm going to close in prayer, and you guys will be dismissed. But we're going to have some pastors and elders here in the middle. We're going to have some prayer partners on the sides, and we're just going to be available. And if you're here today, and you know, you've got this burden on you, and you need prayer, and you need ministry, we're available. If you need someone, to elders, to anoint you with oil, we're available to pray over you, anoint you with oil. If you're here today and you're all bound up and you need deliverance, and we've seen this this weekend in our other two services, maybe you're bound up with alcohol. Now, I'm not gonna get into the debate of whether we should drink or not as Christians. I don't drink, okay, but here's the thing. We know from the Bible it's a sin to get drunk. And yet every weekend, some of you are still getting tipsy and getting drunk, or you can't get through the day without a beer or a glass of wine or two or three or four. You need to be delivered from that. Some of you are involved in illegal drugs. You need to be delivered from that. Some of you are a different person in public than you are in private, and you're engaging in, in, in looking at porn. You need to be delivered from that. You say, that's, that's too powerful. I just, I just can't overcome that. There's power in the name of Jesus. And you can go through, I'm telling you, in the, in the, I'm telling you that there's so much power in the name of Jesus that weeks can go to months to years to decades to your whole life where you never, ever once look at another pornographic image. That's the power of God. And by the way, God, guys, your wives need you to do that. Because if you're doing that, what you're saying to her is you're not good enough, I gotta go do this. And you're grieving the heart of God and you're grieving the heart of your wife. And today's the day where it's, stop, it's, it's time to stop playing church and it's time to turn from your sins and really be a follower of Jesus Christ. There's power and deliverance in Jesus. Now having said that, Here's what I also, also want to say. Just because someone goes forward as everyone's leaving doesn't mean you're addicted to porn or drinking or in drugs, okay? Uh, people have sickness and illness. They have emotional burdens. It's going to be open for anybody and everybody who needs ministry. And so please stand for prayer. Prayer partners and elders, come forward.
Don't forget tonight, 5.30, for that hearty finger food. And to join a group at Group Connect. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, as people are going home today, we pray your blessings be upon them and your power be revealed through them this week. For those who need ministry of any kind, we make ourselves available to be used by you. And we pray for your spirit to be at work here at the altar. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. God bless you guys. See you next week. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm new here, then knowing Christ.